as Pastor Ephraim mentioned, um, we are in the penultimate section of our series in John Superman HD. Um, next week, next week Sunday will be our last week. Thank you, sis. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 21. John 21. And we're going to be reading the first 14 verses in a moment. <clears throat> so John 21, verse 1 to 14. And our message today is called an unexpected revelation. An unexpected <clears throat> revelation. Can I start off by asking you a question with two parts? So my question is, if God were to appear to you, what would you expect him to look like? If God were to appear to you, what would you expect him to look like? And secondly, what would you expect him to say? What would you expect him to look like and what would you expect him to say if God were to appear to you? Now, your circumstances will probably determine how you answer that question. Sometimes, sometimes God reveals himself in ways that we don't expect. Hopefully you're with me in John chapter 21 as we see exactly this take place in our text. Starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he what? He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. <clears throat> Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. An unexpected revelation. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you take initiative to reveal yourself to us. Father, for many of us, we remember the, that time, that, that particular point, possibly roughly, some of us specifically, when we found you. But the truth of the matter is, you didn't, we didn't find you, you found us. Because you weren't lost, we were. And by your grace, you revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you still do that even today. And thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to us, even though we know you. Father, I ask that you do that, even through the, the pages of scripture, as we appreciate that which has been catalogued and chronicled, Lord, for our blessing and benefit this afternoon, we pray. And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask, and for his sake. Amen. So if you look with me at verse 1 of our text, after this, it says, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. And he did so by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, you're aware that just a few days ago, there had been a catastrophic incident. Right? Just a few days ago, there had been a catastrophic incident. Someone's life, if you remember, was tragically cut short. Someone who was only in their mid-30s. Someone who potentially had half of their life left to live. That's if we agree that we're granted three score and ten, right? Seventy years. Which, which often is a fair expectation. And, and, and this person was someone who, whose life was cut short, yet they brought so many people joy. They brought so many, peop- so many people hope and encouragement. This person served others unconditionally. This person was someone who gave of themselves sacrificially. This person is someone who suffered horrendously, enduring pain and torture, especially toward the final days of their life. Yet this person was tremendously strong in character and in consistency. And although this person died, they were not defeated. This person was an overcomer and conquered death leaving a tremendous legacy for her husband, her daughters, her family, and her friends all to follow. Yes, I'm speaking about our our sister Funke. I'm speaking about our sister Funke who passed away two days ago. But if you're listening carefully, you know that I'm also speaking about the Lord Jesus who also suffered a few days ago, at least according to our text. 
And as we consider the pain of our sister's suffering, we also consider the pain of our Savior's suffering. Realizing that neither of them died in vain. On the contrary, we will see, as Pastor E mentioned, we will see our sister again. And that because of Jesus' death. How many of you know, only the death of Jesus actually brings life. Sounds like a contradiction in terms. Only the death of Jesus actually brings life. Now, let us keep our dear brother and, and his two daughters and the rest of the family, especially Funke's mum, in our prayers. As we consider ways in which we can serve them in the near, in the medium and in the distant future. Amen. Three times there's a reference to weeping in the last chapter. Real weeping. Weeping because of death. Three times. As well as fear and trepidation in the hearts of the disciples regarding the future. It's like, how do you move on in a time like this? How many of you know death has a way of bringing out a disconcertedness? Yeah. Since his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has appeared to quite a few different individuals on different occasions. You may remember a few weeks ago in our, in our last chapter, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at a time of great sorrow. <clears throat> then Jesus appeared to his disciples, excluding Thomas, right, who doubted. What? You lot said you saw Jesus? Yeah, right. Like, Whatever. Then eight days later, Jesus appears to his disciples again, this time whilst Thomas was present, right? And it was, it was at a time when Thomas least expected it. Actually, not only did Thomas not expect it, frankly, Thomas, didn't, he, didn't even, he didn't even think it a faint possibility. But when Jesus appears to him, in, a, in the last, in the chapter previous to this one, in in astounded fashion, not only does not only not only does he recognize Jesus' resurrection, but he sees it as a as nothing other than a divine encounter with God. Remember what Thomas said when he saw Jesus alive. He said, "My Lord and my God." What if God were to appear to you, what would you expect him to look like and what would you expect him to say? Luke records Jesus appearing to two others, which is an account that we may or may not come back to in a moment. On the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him until he revealed himself to them. So the Lord Jesus appears or he reveals himself openly, but 
at least half of those occasions mysteriously. Mary didn't recognize that it was him until he called her by name. The disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize it was Jesus until he revealed himself to them. Very mysterious circumstances. And again, we may come back to this, especially this peculiar appearance that we're going to see in our text. Where the Lord reveals himself again, and on this occasion, in an unusual and esoteric way. And you know, this whole book that we've been studying for a year and a half, it has this as a theme. That is the revelation of Jesus as a unique individual. In the, ver- in the verse before the beginning of our section here, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, you can flip back the page. It says, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs as John gets ready to conclude his book. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Pastor E shared it with us last week. Evidence that demands a verdict. So then, who is it? Who is it that will be exposed to this mysterious revelation of Jesus in our text? Who is If you like, who is this person who is God manifested in the flesh? Who's he going to manifest himself to? Verse 2, we have a list. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, like Taiwo, if you like, right? And he's the doubter, who we just made reference to a moment ago. There's Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. We met him at the very beginning of this book. Then the, the two sons of Zebedee, which are who? James. And then the author of the book, John, they're the two brothers, and then two others of his disciples, verse 2 says, were together. So seven of them in total, and we're not sure where the other disciples are at this point. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, that's his boys, right? The other disciples, his brethren, he said, he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, you know what? We're going to go with you. Peter, who has recently had a a very humbling moment, right, when he denied the Lord, he hadn't been aware of his own personal weakness, right, and his sinfulness. But in spite of his falling, he doesn't seem to have lost his influence as a leader among the group, in verse 3. And it says that they followed him, and all of them went fishing. Now, some have argued it to be unthinkable that Peter and some of the others would even contemplate going back to their secular jobs after the events of the past. That is Jesus' three years with them, his trial, his death, his subsequent resurrection. Another said that this was nothing more than aimless activity undertaken in desperation. And I think some of us can understand that. Aimless activity undertaken in desperation. You know when you hit a tragedy and you're not sure what to do? So you just, you, just, you just do something. You do anything. Because your mind's in a spin. Someone else has commented saying, it was better for them to do something 
at least semi-constructive. Because how many of you know the devil can find work for idle hands? If they never found something constructive to do, it would have been real easy for them to go find something destructive to do. Bearing in mind that these disciples had families, right? They had mouths to feed and they had bills to pay. D.A. Carson says, it's probably a combination of the two. He says, even though Jesus had been crucified and risen from the dead, the disciples still needed to eat. (laughs) These are real people dealing with real circumstances. So we don't want to say that these disciples have turned their back on ministry because they're now doing a secular job, right? We don't want to say that they've sunken into depression, but they aren't as clear as to what to do specifically. You know, this will, this, will, this will come, that is specifically what to do by the time we get to Acts chapter 1. But for the meantime, what do you do when you're confronted with difficult and challenging circumstances? Have you ever been in that place? Where you don't know what the next step is. You don't, you don't know where to turn. You don't know. You can just about figure out the next five minutes or five hours. You can't even begin to contemplate how you're going to confront tomorrow, depending on the circumstances you're facing. Well, if this is anything to go by, we can, we can learn what it means to wait on the Lord And he will reveal himself to you, to me, to us, and he will make it plain. As as he does for his disciples historically in in our text, he will do the same for, for us currently. Amen? So in the meantime, these disciples, they go fishing. Look at the middle of verse 3. It says, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing stress have you ever been in a situation where where it seems like like nothing will go your way I mean these guys have had a traumatic time right You you, you may be experiencing that going for a traumatic time evidently we as a church right now are, are experiencing a traumatic time jide and his two daughters are experiencing, a tra- are experiencing a, I mean, traumatic seems to be an understatement. And these guys are feeling, are feeling quite, and, and all they want is just to go out now and just, just catch some fish. They can't think about the weighty matters, it's too much. We just want to go out and catch something. All night they're up and they can't catch any fish. I mean... All they want to do is catch them. It's, they're not ungrateful. They're not being sinful. You know when you're like, boy, just give me a break, man. You know, I just need a Kit Kat. You know, I, mean? I, just, I just need a cup of tea and a Kit Kat. I just, want it, I just need to keep it simple. But I suppose... This is just another one of those instances where we're reminded that even in the most simplest of things, 
We can do nothing without Jesus. John said that a few verses previously in chapter 15, remember? Without Jesus, we can do nothing. And it's actually a blessing to be reminded of that. You're in trouble when you actually, you know what I'm saying, are running at 100 miles an hour and you're ticking every box and, you know what I'm saying, you're cashing every check and everything in life is just going swimmingly. That's really when you need to be concerned, at least from a biblical point of view. Sometimes when you trip over and you mash up, you know, you know, I always think about them scenes of the, 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 the metal bins down the alleyway when you're, and you trip and you fall and you go, boodoof, bang, bling, bong. And it's, it's, those moments actually can be a blessing. Because they remind us of our frailty. Moments like this in our experience as a church, and we've been here before, you know what I'm saying? And God, by his grace, has transitioned us through. You know what I'm saying? Moments like this are actually a blessing. Because they help us to think about the important things of life. When I was in the hospital, and I stood there in, I, with Pastor E in ICU, with, with, with Judith and, and my wife, when we stood there in ICU, it, this wasn't just the only circumstance that was difficult and challenging. There was a multiplicity of challenging circumstances. And in that moment, I was like, thank you, Lord, that the lady behind that curtain has hope in the face of no hope. But what about all these other people in here? What about all these other patients? And what about all of these other families? And in that moment, like Pastor E said, the planets align. And you realize that being here and reading your Bible and being a disciple and and suffering for Christ and sharing the gospel, you realize that, you know what, there really is nothing that is as important. Now, um, there's loads of things that are important. But when when, when you talk about priorities, and hopefully we're going to see that. In the next 15 minutes or so. This incident actually contributes. No fish. It's like if it can't get any worse. They've been up all night. Seemingly wasting their time. But completely unknown. Unbeknown to them. Jesus has been watching them the whole time. But, but completely unbeknown to them, Jesus has been watching them the whole time. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking. And you know, you know, we say it all the time. We say it because the Bible says it. Weeping endures how long for? It has a time frame, you know. And it's important. It doesn't mean we don't do it, you know. It's vital and it's important. You know what I'm saying? But thank God that morning has a time frame. Weeping endures for a night, but joy, if you're associated with Christ, joy will come in the morning. And I just mentioned it with reference to the beginning of this verse, not because it's suggesting that, but it says, just as day was breaking. I mean, if you know, the sun begins to come up. And, and notice, Jesus is standing on the shore. Yet the disciples, the verse says, did not know that it was Jesus. 
I wonder how often we go through difficult circumstances wondering, Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? This is, Lord, it's... Verse 4 says that Jesus stood on the shore. Throughout this book, John has helped us to see that Jesus is who? Superman, superman. Human, and Jesus is a man, but he's also, he's no, he's no less than God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 1. Right. Therefore, we can safely say, just as the disciples were disgruntled, discouraged, distressed, we can safely say that God was closer to them than they appreciated. God is closer to them and he is also closer to us than we could ever imagine. See, could that, wouldn't that also be true for you and me this afternoon. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know. Oh, it's like we planned a series in John, not knowing what was going to happen. I mean, who, what, what do we know, right? We don't know what's going to take place in the next five minutes. You know what I'm saying? But we, we determined by God's grace to teach through this series in John, and we, are, I mean, you know, we deliberated as elders, whether or not we should have just shared something else from the text, you know, considering where we were all going to be at and, and how we would be feeling in the, in the light or in the shadow of this bad news. And, you know, God prov- graciously provides us with just what we need, just when we need it. I mean, little things like this ought to be a great encouragement to us. And, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now, maybe they couldn't tell who he was because it was, it was late night, early morning, right? right? Possibly it's still quite dark. Therefore, maybe they can't identify this figure on the shore, right? It's, it's about 100 yards away. And it wouldn't be unusual, you know, at this time, for there to be fishmongers and wholesalers standing on the, on the shore, on the beach, ready to receive and then sell the fresh catch of the day. It, it could have been anyone on the shore. Now notice how Jesus reveals himself to his friends in an unexpected manner. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. Apparently in the Greek, that is in the original language that this was, I mean, if you know, like, in, that, that our Bibles are not the way, when, when, the, when, when, when this story was originally written, it was written in Greek. And when you look at the original language, there are some things that you see that don't float on the surface of the English text. Right? And, the, the word for children is more informal. It's like lads in English or guys in American, if American is a language, right? And if you like, it's the, the, way, the way this question was asked meant, no, it meant it was loaded with doubt with the expectation of a negative answer. 
right? It's a bit like this. Hey, fellas, haven't you caught anything yet? Um, sounds, sounds just like one of them guys from Billingsgate Fish Market, right? And maybe in their frustration or maybe their tiredness, right? They give a one-word answer, right? Boy, no! <laughs> Verse 6, he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Hmm. Knowing how they're feeling, how would you respond at that moment? <laughs> well, depending on who you are, right? You could take that in one of two ways. One, you could think that this person on the shore is pushing your buttons, like winding you up. Ah, you've been up all night, ain't caught no fish. Ah, <laughs> right? That's one way it could be take. And you'd be like, yeah, it's all right. And I'm saying, like, it's a good thing I'm, you're on the shore and I'm in the boat because if I was over there, it would be on, right? <laughs> but it's all right because we're not far and we're coming to shore. I'm coming. It's all right. Now, that's one way you could take it, right? Which, which probably wouldn't have been unusual for Peter. But on the other hand, it could be taken another way, a non-sarcastic way. Notice, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. The second way we could take this is like, hmm. Doesn't that sound like something we've heard before? Yes, as disciples, it, wouldn't, it, it would have been something they heard before. And if you're a disciple, hopefully it's something that you have heard before. I'll explain in a minute. Look at the middle of verse 6. So they cast it. And, and, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Hmm. Someone says, Jesus knows more about your field of expertise than you do. <laughs> That's another message. Whenever, now, more to the point, whenever you hear something sarcastic, because trust me, you will, and it will be directed straight at you, whenever you hear something sarcastic, don't always be quick to respond negatively. Because they could have, right? Because it might actually be the voice of the Lord, especially when you're not looking for him. It might actually be God speaking to you. And if it is the voice of the Lord and you failed and you fail to respond correctly, look at what you potentially miss out on. They did what he said, not fully understanding that it was Jesus. So we really have no excuse. Well, I don't really understand. Well, there still is really no excuse. You know, that's why we've got to be careful how we respond, even to negative circumstances and even negative comments, right? They did what he said, not fully understanding that it was Jesus, and look at the result. Imagine receiving a, imagine receiving a blessing of such abundance that you cannot manage it. And I had to look back, I made that point and I looked back and I thought, does it say that they couldn't manage it? Maybe they could barely manage it. Maybe like they barely got the nets off. No, it doesn't say that. You know what I'm saying? It says they couldn't manage it. You know what I'm saying? It says that they couldn't haul it in. 
such was the overwhelming abundance. See, be careful how you respond to what seems like challenging circumstances. If God were to come to you in your circumstances, what would you expect? I know what I would expect. My inclination and my proclivity is such that I tend to be very negative rather than positive. I'm, I'm like Thomas. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm like... I'm not the... What is that true? I think I, I can... T- maybe I'll swing between the two. I can tend to be very optimistic sometimes, but when you catch me on a bad day, oh my gosh. I'm the living pessimist. You know what I mean? And how, how, how I would respond you know what i'm saying like what i would expect would be judgment i would i mean i would expect chastisement rebuke and stiff correction that would be probably my initial inclination that's what i i don't know what you would expect i'm telling you what i would expect right when i think about god visiting me when i think about god visiting me And it's partly because I I know what I deserve. Straight execution. No stay. Execution for my sinfulness. I know myself. And you know what? I tend to forget the gospel. I forget the good news that Jesus took my punishment on the cross. And by trusting in his sacrifice for my sin, for our sin, we can actually anticipate God's blessing in our lives. This is an unexpected revelation of God. And let me just point out that this doesn't mean that God won't challenge, won't correct, won't rebuke, won't chastise us. He will, but not always. Not always. Do you remember me asking if this reminded you of another occasion that is throw the net out on the other side and all this fish? Hopefully it rang some bells for you. Luke chapter 5. This is Luke 5 is when I tell you I was at a certain point in my life and Luke 5, even as I stand and I mention it, I just remember just waves, waves and waves of God's mercy and his love I experienced in the face of just really, really just confronted with my own, like my overwhelming sinfulness. I don't know if you've, if you, if you've, if you've ever hit that point in your life. I tell you, it's one thing getting saved and understanding that Jesus is the savior. And trust me, I wept when I got saved. I was bawling like a baby nose was running. I'm like, I knew that I was a sinner when I got saved, but progressively over the course of my life, there have been moments where God has, has revealed my sinfulness to me. And I tell you, I felt like God had never, ever, never, ever want anything to do with me ever again. And justifiably, so, like, I'm telling you, how, I'm, this is my, I'm sharing my experience with you. I'm not sure if you've ever been there. And I tell you, Luke 5... I remember it with fondness. What can I say? Luke chapter 5. Just a few verses. 11 verses. It says, On one occasion... Now now listen in the light of what we've just been reading. 
on one occasion, now this was, this was early in the ministry. This was before Peter, who's significant in a text. This is before, he's even a, before he even accepts Christ, begins to follow Christ, is a disciple of Christ. Oh my gosh. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the same lake, the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, same place we referenced just now in John 21. And he saw two, look, he saw two what? He saw two boats, you know, by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Jesus taking liberties, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's boat, which potentially could have been the same boat that we're talking about. He asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down, Jesus, in the boat off the shore now using the water for amplification and so that he ain't going to get crushed by these hordes. And he's preaching to the crowds from the boat. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now you've got to get the picture. Simon is sitting in the boat. Well, it's his boat. Jesus is here preaching to all these people. And as Jesus is preaching to all these people, all of the people are listening, but they're also looking at who? Jesus. But how are you going to look at Jesus in the boat sitting next to Peter and not see Peter? So if you like, it's all eyes on Peter. Like, what does Peter do? Peter's looking down. I don't know. I should have brought the net into the boat because at least I could have fiddled with the net or done something. What is he? We don't know what he's doing. Now, I don't want to preach Luke 5. Like I said, it's very special to me. You know what I mean? But I do want you to get the picture. And it says, verse 4, When he had finished speaking, he, if you like, says to Simon, who's next to him, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, listen. You are, you're a heavy preacher, you know. I'm not even going to lie. Like you've got all these people. I mean, these people wouldn't be here to listen to you if you weren't engaging. You're on another level when it comes to speaking. But you see, when it comes to fishing, hey, listen, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a school you when it comes to, like you're going to try and school me about f- fishing. You get the picture, right? We toiled all night and we took nothing. But, and in a sense... I don't have the time to paint it. There's a frustration. But he says, but at your word, I mean, look, why didn't you just do what he said? Look, he says, but at your word, we'll put down the nets. The reason he didn't do what, he, what he's going to do is because he's frustrated. Otherwise, he would have done it. He says, we've been toiling all night. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. Okay. And when, and when they're done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have blessed Peter like that, personally, knowing, but Jesus is not me, right? Remember, this is an unexpected revelation of Jesus. Now, listen to verse 7. He then says, he says, they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he never said, yes. We ain't going to have to go fishing like this for another month. Yeah. Is that what he says? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In those times when you expect, you know what I'm saying? You think about Adam in the garden when he sinned. I mean, the Lord should have just drew for the Excalibur on him and Eve. And just wet them up right there in the garden. 
water the grass with their blood. Same thing with David. David! What? You, you took another woman's wife, and if that weren't bad enough, then you murdered her husband to try and cover your sin. Samson! Ladies' man, innit? Like, every single one of them, without, without mercy, unequivocally, ought to have received judgment. And Peter's standing there thinking, I know, I, I know what I'm like. Yet you, knowing who you are, you do this for me? No. You see, like Peter, like me, we, we expect, and I suspect many of us, we expect judgment from God because of our sinfulness, and rightly so. <laughs> but what an unexpected response. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John. And then these brothers are fishermen. This is what they do. And they're astonished. It's a lot, is what I'm trying to say. They were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he says, Simon, do not be afraid. He says, from now on, you will be catching men and women. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord Jesus uses, I would argue, this incident in our text in John 21 to show his disciples something that I think we need to be reminded of today. Right? Jesus wants to show his disciples that he was one. That Jesus, one, he was near to them. Nearer than they could ever imagine. Two, that he was able to abundantly bless them. He was also... And not only was he able, he was willing to abundantly bless them. Three, he wants them to, to see that he's able to forgive them. Remember that... Oh my gosh. It wasn't, it wasn't just Peter that had denied Jesus and abandoned him. You know what I'm saying? They'd all abandoned Jesus. Like we all abandoned Jesus. Don't we? From time to time. But he was able to forgive them and he was willing to forgive them. Number four, Jesus wants us to see that he's able to reveal himself. Why? Because he's resurrected from the dead. He's able to reveal himself but he's also willing to reveal himself to them. So, not only would Jesus be able to be able and willing, that is to bless his disciples, point one to four, our story shows us that he is also wanting to bless others also. And this was to remind them to never forget. Number five, that they were fishermen. They were fishermen. Not fishermen so fishing solely for fish, but fishermen who would fish for men. And that has to always be a big part of the focus of the disciples. That also 
has to always be a big part of the focus for us as disciples, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, regardless of the challenges that we face, regardless of what, regardless of, of, of the fact that we fail the Lord, regardless of whatever trials we face, when the nets come up bursting with fish, the penny drops. And John recognizes who this mystery person is. Look at verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now this is weird. You're supposed to strip off when you jump into the water, not put your clothes on. When you jump into the water, right? But this is another one of those impetuous, impulsive moments. Not unusual for Peter. This is, com- this is completely out of character for anyone else. But completely in character for Peter. But maybe Peter has in mind that John beat him to the tomb the last time. I don't know if you remember in the last race that he had. <laughs> and maybe Peter's a better swimmer than he's a better runner. Because swimming and running are two different things, right? Regardless of, of, of your size, right? <laughs> Whatever the reason, he evidently wants to get to Jesus. In contrast to Luke 5, when he, notice in Luke 5, he wanted to get away from Jesus. Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, can you see how over his relationship with Jesus and his grown in his understanding of Jesus, now rather than want to get away, all he wants to do is get to Jesus, even to the point where he'll do a stupid thing like jump in the sea with all his clothes on. There's a, not, there's a notable parenthesis between verse 7 and 8. Surely, I mentioned this in passing, surely the moment Peter coming out of the water and seeing Jesus, right? This is what this seems to be building up to, would have been a true Hollywood moment. Peter comes out of the water and he's dripping and there's Jesus and there's Peter and their eyes meet. It would have been the obvious direction for Spielberg, you know what I'm saying, and any other normal author, but not John. Further proving, if you like, the authenticity of this amazing account. There's no hype. This is, they say truth is stranger than fiction. You know what I'm saying? Verse 8 focuses our attention back to the boat. Peter will be in focus in the second section of our text, which Pastor E will tackle next week. Talking about shepherding versus today we're talking about evangelism. Verse 8 says, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. I mean, there's fish here, but Jesus didn't even need the fish that they had. All of the disciples are out of the boat now and on the shore, probably standing in awe of the mystery man in front of them. Convinced, yet slightly unsure of who he is. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And then turning back to the boat in verse 11, Simon Peter goes back to the boat and holding it ashore full of large fish, fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 153 fish. Some have suggested that this number holds a deeper, mystical, supernatural, spiritual significance. 
<laughs> Augustine, gangster, but I'm not sure about this point. Augustine, he says the 153 is, is the triangular number of 17, which is 10 plus 7. Ten commandments and the sevenfold spirit of God, etc., etc., etc. Most modern commentators would agree that this is just the result of them counting the fish. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's only, it's only what an angler would do, right? And I'm saying it's like, <laughs> in order to chronicle your catch, you know what I mean? Nowadays, they take a selfie, like with a big fish. Yeah. We did it when we went to Jamaica. Where's Marky? We caught a barracuda. It was about this long. It was probably about that long. But no, it, was, it, actually, it actually was about that long. And we took a picture with it, you know what I mean? Verse 12 to 14, we'll now conclude our section with Jesus continuing to show fond kindness to his friends. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Sometimes food will only do, like nothing will do what food can do. It's like, is my wife here? Not me. It's like, sometimes you know what you just feel, you know, I just need, it's, the, it's all about the fridge. <laughs> Hitting the fridge, you know what I'm saying, having some ice cream, um, eating some comfort food. Hey, what can I say? This is Jesus. You know what I mean? Don't seem, there don't seem to be anything quote-unquote spiritual going on, at least in this particular section. You know what I'm saying? Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? You see the mystery? You know what I'm saying? They knew it was the Lord, but they didn't. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so were the fish. There is a lot more that could be said, but I'm going to stop at this point. Verse 14 says, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples, that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Like I said, there's much more that could be said. Jesus, let me end on this point. Jesus evidently calls his disciples to fish. But that for men and women. We, like the disciples here, are experiencing difficult circumstances in the loss of one of our close church members, our sister Funke. Yet we can be greatly encouraged because she has the sure promise of salvation why? Because she believed. Remember John 20, verse 30 through 31, which is the purpose of the gospel of John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the rescuer from sin, Genesis 3.15. He's the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Funke, hmm, thank the, Funke is not sick anymore. She's not suffering anymore. Our ultimate prayer of healing has been answered. And she only enjoys this wonderful salvation now in the presence of the Lord like she never knew it before. Safe and sound. Because someone, notice, because someone was willing to go fishing for her. 
someone shared this wonderful message of hope with her and by it she was saved. And now she experienced the wonderful joys of heaven never to be taken away. Every tear wiped away. May we be encouraged like these disciples to be fishers of men and women. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I invite the, the, the sound team, the praise team to come join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for not being like us on so many levels. Father, often for those who for those of us who are aware of sin and its implications, often, Lord, we shrink back from a relationship with you. We shrink back because we know we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. But thank you that that's exactly what it is. It's undeserved favor. It's grace. It's God's, it's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's not, it's not cheap. It's very expensive. But it's free. And Father, we thank you for reminding us today at a time, Lord God, Lord, there's nothing, there's no words that could comfort us, Lord. There's no words that's going to comfort Jide. There's no words, Lord, that would comfort in a time like this. No trite statements, no pithy statements Lord the only thing that could help and bring hope in a moment like this Lord God is the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ and the fact and the, the, the amazing fact that it comes to us through suffering through the suffering of our saviour Lord makes it all the more easily applicable at a time like this. And I, uh, Lord, we thank you that when we're feeling, Lord, when we're feeling like this, you don't come in with steel toe cap boots on us. You don't come in with a big stick, a big bat, but you come in graciously. Father Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, for the way that you meet with us in your grace and in your mercy, providing us, Lord, with, with healing and with help and, co- and real comfort. Not just, Lord, not just for us, because it's, it's, it's for the living that we grieve. But you give us comfort as we think about our sister. She's with you, Lord. And that brings us to ultimate comfort. In the midst of our tears and our crying, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this good news, Lord God. That, that is able to overshadow our darkness and eclipse 
any pain and suffering. Doesn't take it away, Lord. But the sun comes out. And we feel the warmth of your goodness and your mercy. No other religion can provide this. No other perspective on life. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that we thank you. In, his, in, in Jesus' name. And for his sake, Lord God. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.